science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and acetine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium. Welcome aboard on this F1 day. And, uh, of course, the drivers have lucked out with the good weather conditions. And the race is, of course, still uh, ongoing. And uh, I find it fascinating. I mean, not, I'm not a huge F1 fan, uh, but uh, the science is so interesting, you know, with the, the tires that uh, have to be just right, the pressure has to be just right. Uh, they have to know exactly how long they can keep a, a tire on. Uh, the fuel mixture has to be perfect. So it is kind of interesting. Anyway, let me start out with a couple of questions for you guys, as we normally do. First, the name of what scientific discipline derives from the Greek word for bow? So we're looking for the scientific discipline that derives its name from the Greek word for bow. And the second question that we'll start out with today is uh, the following. Against what disease was four thieves vinegar supposed to offer protection? Four thieves vinegar. It was supposed to offer protection against some disease. What is that disease? If you know the answer to those, or if you are good at Googling, 514-790-0800 is our number. And you can, of course, also text at 514-800. For those of you who may be new to the program, uh, I'm Joe Schwartz. I'm a professor of chemistry, and I uh, also am the director of McGill University's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to demystify science, separate sense from nonsense, fact from myth, make sure that uh, uh, the public is kept up to date on interesting happenings in the world of science. And of course, we also try to fight quackery, which explains why when you watch me on my videos that I put out regularly, and incidentally, if you want to get on the mailing list for that newsletter, you just give me um, uh, an email, uh, joe.schwartz, that's S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z, at mcgill.com. CA will put you on the list. And uh, you'll very often see my ducks in the background on those videos. And I like to be surrounded with them because it keeps me alert about the importance of the constant need to fight quackery. All right. I also, as you know, I like to tell stories of all kinds. And uh, we're going to start out today with uh, one that... Uh, Hopefully, you will find as as fascinating as uh, as I do, and it's a historical uh, account. And uh, I like history, and especially when you take into account how it affects uh, us today. So, uh, a couple of uh, years ago, I don't remember exactly when, maybe four or five years ago. I was giving a talk at a cosmetics conference, and uh, as it commonly happens, they give you a little gift, you know, after the talk. And uh, this time, it was a little porcelain item, 
and uh, oh, I would say, you know, sort of the, the size of a large soup can or a coffee mug. And it was decorated with artwork on the sides. And an accompanying brochure described it as a lamp berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. Well, from a quick read of this brochure, I understood that uh, this uh, thing was to be filled with uh, fragrant alcohol. And uh, it did come with a bottle of that. And it had a wick at the top, and uh, you know it was uh, uh, described that you how you light the wick. There was a special procedure to that. Anyway, I thought you know well this was just some version of uh, you know the common fragrant candles, and I stored it away. But uh, now it's out of storage, and actually it's prominently displayed uh, in my little museum that I have in my office. And uh, it's not very elaborate, but uh, I do uh, keep a lot of memorabilia and scientific curiosities. And uh, one day I think I will make a video of, uh, of it because I do have some interesting things. And now the Lamberger displays there. Well, my uh, interest in this Lamberger was rekindled by a statement from Sir Humphrey Davy that I came across uh, and that happened when I was researching the history of the Davy safety lamp. Well, I've always been interested in Davy, who really was the first popularizer of chemistry. And in the early years of the 19th century, uh, people flocked to his lectures at London's Royal Institution. Why? Because Davy would perform all kinds of demonstrations and tell great stories and got people interested in science. But anyway, his remark that got my attention was his reference to an observation he described as, quote, more like magic than anything I have seen. It depends upon a perfectly new principle in combustion. Well, you probably know that I'm interested in magic. And like all chemists, I'm also interested in combustion. So, of course, I had to look into this further. Well, it turns out in 1815, Davy became concerned about the perils that coal miners face from explosions of fire damp. That's methane, as we now know it today. It's a highly combustible gas, and it's released from coal seams during mining. Well, before electric lights, what did, what did miners use in the darkness down there? Uh, either candles or kerosene lamps. And uh, sometimes, of course, there would be ignition and explosion of the methane. And uh, that caused a lot of deaths. So Davy wondered whether or not it would be possible to produce some sort of lamp that pre would prevent any methane gas that might seep into a mine from igniting. And after much experimentation, he discovered that a fine metal mesh uh, absorbed the heat of a flame and prevented a flame from passing through. And the safety lamp was born with a metal screen that surrounded a kerosene-fueled flame. Now, it was during this experimentation with metals that Davy made his magical observation. As he was experimenting with uh, fire damp, or methane, and a platinum wire. Held next to a flame, the wire began to glow as it was heated, which was, of course, not a surprise. But the surprise came when the flame was extinguished and the platinum wire continued to glow. Somehow, the combustion of methane around this wire was continuing. The, the wire was being heated, even though no flame was visible. This was the magical, novel type of combustion to which Davy had referred. But it was his younger cousin, Edmund Davy, 
who went on to further investigate this phenomenon. And he found that a heated platinum wire exposed to ethanol, that's ordinary alcohol, remained hot until all the alcohol was consumed. Now, neither of the Davies realized that they had been experimenting with one of the most important phenomena in chemistry, catalysis. The platinum wire had provided a surface on which a fuel would combine with oxygen, that is, it would combust, but at a lower temperature than one would expect. Now, in 1821, a German translation of Edmund Davy's account came to the attention of Johann Wolfgang Derberiner, who was professor of chemistry and technology at the University of Jena. He repeated the experiment and found that the ethanol was oxidized to acetic acid, and he noted that the platinum wire was not consumed in the process. Following up on this came a pivotal experiment in 1823. Doberiner directed a fine stream of hydrogen gas at a platinum wire a few centimeters away so that the gas mixed with air before hitting the target platinum wire. You know what happened? The platinum quickly became red hot and ignited the hydrogen. No external source of ignition was used. When Swedish chemist Jons Jakob Berzelius who had taken on the task of publishing an annual review of advances in chemistry, heard about this discovery, he wrote in 1823 that, from any point of view, the most important, and if I may use the expression, the most brilliant discovery of last year is without a doubt that made by Döberiner. And it was Berzelius who would uh, go on in 1835 to coin the term catalysis for the phenomenon uh, he defined there define catalysis as the ability of a substance to increase the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. Well, Doberiner managed to capitalize on his discovery. By 1827, he had created the world's first believe it or not, lighter. At the time, if you wanted to light a candle or kerosene lamp, you needed tinder and a flintstone. But Doberiner designed a device in which hydrogen gas, generated by a reaction between zinc and sulfuric acid, was streamed against a piece of spongy platinum where it ignited. And that flame could then be used to light a candle. Well, what does this have to do with uh, my... Lamp Berger. Actually, quite a lot. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We'll get to the lines in just a moment, but let me finish my story. Uh, I was talking about uh, platinum acting as a catalyst for combustion. That is, substances can uh, interact with uh, platinum and essentially burn without producing a flame. Fascinating. Well, it was this 
that uh, Maurice Berger, a Frenchman who had some training in chemistry, came across. That was what intrigued him. Now, there had been some reports published that in this flameless combustion, uh, there was a side reaction in which oxygen in the air would uh, produce ozone. And ozone was known to uh, be able to destroy odors. Now, at that time, uh, in the um, 1800s, late 1800s, there was a lot of concern about smells in hospitals and mortuaries. They were very stinky places. And uh, Berger thought that maybe this flameless alcohol burner uh, would produce some ozone and eliminate odors. And he actually found that his lamp Berger worked and uh, suggested that the catalytic action of platinum formed ozone from oxygen and that the ozone destroyed the smell. Well, it is conceivable, I think, that small amounts of ozone form but I don't think enough that they can have a significant effect to, to rid rooms of smells. What is more likely, that compounds in the air come into contact with the hot platinum and they themselves are oxidized. And then there's also the possibility of uh, uh, the alcohol that is being dispensed from these lamps in tiny, tiny droplets uh, will dissolve some of the odors in the air and fall to the ground. Uh, hard to know. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence uh, about uh, these Berger lamps uh, taking away odor, especially in kitchens and, and tobacco odor, uh, etc. But uh, there are no proper scientific studies that I've come across. There is, however, no question that these lamps make for very attractive collectibles. And uh, the Lamberger industry, of course, now feeds into that, and they produce these lamps in a number, number of different shapes and sizes and varieties with some beautiful artwork. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, you can Google Lamberger and do an image search and, and you will find them. But anyway, for me, they represent a fascinating glimpse into history. And to finish off here, I really appreciate Doberiner's refusal to patent his invention of the original lighter. He declared, quote, I love science more than money, and the knowledge that with it I have been useful makes me happy. And yeah, uh, you know, giving out good scientific information is indeed a, a, a source of happiness. All right, uh, let's go to uh, the lines, and I think we have Liz. Hello, Liz? good afternoon, Dr. Schwartz. Hi. Yeah, hi. I would like to ask you, oh, I have the answer to the, one of your questions. Would it be archery concerning the bow? Uh, well, archery is not exactly a scientific discipline. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, I have another, okay. I have a question for you concerning okay. yogurt. Yes. Okay, I pass 2% plain yogurt through a cotton bag to get a white cheese, which is very good. But the liquid okay. coming out is slightly thicker than water and it's yellowish. And I was wondering if there's any nutritional value to that. There is. I mean, it's a liquid that is called whey. Yeah, what is and, in there? Uh, yeah, it, it has protein. Yeah, it oh, actually protein. is nutritious. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I should use that somehow. Sure. 
Sure, don't throw that out. Yeah, okay, yeah. thank you. Oh, okay. But, um, um, Dr. Schwartz, I used yeah. the platinum wire in the laboratory when I did chemistry. We used to dip uh -huh. the tip into some uh, chemical compound and put it over a Bunsen burner, and it would exactly. show the color of uh, uh, metal. You dip it into different solutions of different elements, and you That's get different right. colors. Yes, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, that's a, a classic uh, experiment. Right. It's actually yeah. the experiment is actually called the the color rainbow. That's right. You because, reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, you can produce a lot of different uh, colors, and um, uh, usually, what the way that it is done is that uh, you take uh, a little uh, either salts or little pieces of metal and dip it into methanol and then put it into into a flame. Oh. The methanol catches fire and heats up the, the salt or the wire right. and you get these beautiful colors. Yeah, yes, yeah it's, it a, it's a very good experiment. Yeah, okay. You have to be careful, of course, any time that you play with a Bunsen burner and flammable yeah, right. Well, materials. that was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Thank All right, well, we bye still bye. have uh, that question then uh, hanging out there. Uh, we're looking for the the scientific discipline uh, that owes its name from the Greek to the Greek word for uh, bow. So we're looking um, looking for that, and I'm also looking for the disease that four thieves vinegar was supposed to offer protection against. So of course you can phone us at five one four seven nine zero zero eight hundred or text at five one four eight hundred. You know, in, in chemistry, of course, we use a lot of terms that, that are not familiar to people. And we talk about ethyl and methyl. What's the difference? Well, you know what? When it comes to sculptured nails, quite a lot. It's really a fingernail biting problem. <laughs> you would like to have nice, long, shapely nails, but yours just won't grow properly. Well, then it's time for a little chemical help. You know you can avail yourself of the latest acrylic technology at your local nail salon, but you have a lingering concern about safety. You've heard about the nasty things that methylmethacrylate can do. Redness, swelling, itching, blisters, lifting of the nail from the nail bed, irritation of the eyes, nose, bronchial tract. Who wants to take a chance with wicked things like that? Nobody. Certainly not the Canadian or U.S. government. That's why methylmethacrylate is banned from use in sculptured nail products. But your salon advertises sculptured acrylic nails. Are they defying the law? No. Not all acrylics are created equal. They're not using methylmethacrylate. They're using ethylmethacrylate. May not sound very different, but the extra carbon atom in this compound's molecular structure makes a huge difference in terms of its toxicity. Ethylmethacrylate doesn't have the same potential for skin or respiratory irritation as methylmethacrylate. But what do these chemicals do anyway? Sculptured nails are distinct from glue-on nails, which have their own issues. The glue-on nails are made of polymethylmethacrylate, a plastic that commonly goes by the name of plexiglass. This material is inert, doesn't cause problems, but the glue with which it is stuck on, a cyanoacrylate, can cause irritation in people who have become sensitized to it. <clears throat> Sculptured nails are also made of polymethylmethacrylate, but the formation of, of the pl uh, plastic actually takes place on the nail. 
A flexible template is inserted under the natural nail plate, and the elongated sculptured nail is then built on top of the nail and the template extension. The process involves mixing two components, one a powder, the other liquid, applying the mixture to the nail with a brush in layers. In minutes, the plastic hardens, it can be sanded and covered with nail polish. Now for the interesting chemistry that's involved here. The powder is polymethyl methacrylate, a polymer that is formed by joining methyl methacrylate molecules into long chains. The role of the liquid with which the powder is mixed is to cross-link the long polymethyl methacrylate chains, sort of like using rungs to make a ladder. The liquid contains individual molecules of ethyl methacrylate. When mixed with the powder and prompted by an initiator also contained in the powder, the ethyl methacrylate molecules join together to form a chain that ties together the polymethyl methacrylate chains. And the result is a hard plastic. Well, before it was banned in 2003, methyl methacrylate was used as a cross-linking agent and it created numerous problems. Today, people still have a concern about acrylic sculptured nails because few appreciate the difference between the terms ethyl and methyl. But when it comes to chemistry, the difference between that E and the M is huge. And fact is that all of this is based on knowing the structure of molecules. And that is really at the heart of chemistry, the study of matter and the changes that matter undergoes. Great A milk emulsified, maltodextrin alkalide, silicon dioxalite, lots of sugar, hey, all right. calcified synthetic salt, artificial barley malt, glycerin and aspartate, folic acid. That tastes great. Monosodium glutamate, dehydrated calcinate, soybean oil, butter fat, carbon center. All of that. Hooray for sugar, cause we love it. Chocolate chips, we want more of it. Cakes and ice cream, want to shove it down our throats real fast. <laughs> Here's a candy bar. You tried it? Hey, let's all see what's inside it. Gelatinized triglycerin, phosphate, soybean, lecithin, dioxalite, tricilicon, dipped in chocolate. Bring it on! Citrus enzymes, BHT, powdered milk. Sounds good to me! Baking soda, carob gum, carbohydrates. Yummy, yum! Monosodium glutamate, zinc disodium alginate, whole grain flour, yeast, and fat. Fun to eat it. I'll do that. There, you got a thrill today. You got the whole song. And uh, you learned something about food additives. All right. But uh, I see that you're having trouble with the questions that I asked. Uh, because I'm merciful, I'll give you another chance. I'll, I'll pose a third question. What was the deadliest airship disaster in history? All right, so you got three questions out there. One about uh, which science the name of is based on the Greek word for bow. Then four thieves vinegar was a concoction that was supposed to protect against some disease. And now what was the deadliest airship disaster in history? And, and we have Jean-Pierre on the line. Hi. Jean-Pierre? Hello? Yes. Hello? Go ahead. Ballistics. No, no, not ballistics. No. And the air, the air disaster, could it be Air India? 
No, uh, airship disaster. Airship disaster, not airplane disaster. Okay. Uh, okay. The, the, the one at uh, New, in New Jersey, the Hindenburg? No. No, it wasn't the Hindenburg. I mean, of course, I asked this question because it wasn't the Hindenburg, and I knew that that's the answer that would come to people's mind. No, it was not the know. Hindenburg. Okay. All right. Okay, maybe someone else will, will know. So we still have... Uh, all three questions uh, alive, and uh, that's uh, sort of unusual. Uh, 514-800, that's the text number, and I I'm, I'm, don't seem to be getting any text. I, I'm wondering if there's some sort of issue there, because that never happens that I do not get texts. Um, so if you know the answer to one of those questions, or if you have some question on your own, Text at 514-800, at least I'd like to see if the texting is working because it's unusual that I, I'm not getting any uh, texts. Um, let me tell you that that um, uh, one of the <laughs> sort of stories that I've told once in a while and I've even written about that gets a tremendous amount of attention is one that I, I've entitled, Is There Goat Poop in Your Hair? <laughs> all right, what's this all about? Well, it gets your attention. And uh, let's talk about argan oil. Don't worry, we'll get around to the poop part. You've heard of corn oil, heard of sunflower oil, peanut oil, canola oil, but unless you're familiar with Moroccan traditions or in the habit of frequenting trendy hair salons, chances are that argan oil has escaped your attention. So what is this oil that most people have never heard of? Argan is a tree that grows in only one specific region of Morocco and produces a fruit that resembles a large olive. Stripping away the fleshy outside layer exposes a nut that can be dried and cracked open to reveal several kernels. Traditionally, these have been roasted, mashed, and squeezed to yield an oil with a nutty flavor. Because the trees are rare and a lot of work is involved in producing the oil, it tends to be expensive. That's why it is used sparingly, usually to flavor salads and dips. It can also be stirred into couscous. There are even health claims about lowering cholesterol, boosting the immune system, although these have to be taken with a very large grain of salt. Chemically, argan oil is very similar to olive oil, consisting mostly of oleic acid, a monounsaturated fat, and uh, there's also linoleic acid, which is polyunsaturated. While these are deemed to be, quote, healthy, argan oil would rarely be consumed regularly in significant amounts to have any impact on health. Like olive oil, it also contains some vitamin E, along with small quantities of other antioxidants of no practical relevance. There is somewhat more rationale for the use of argan oil in cosmetic products. At least one study suggests that a small amount rubbed on the skin can reduce sebum production, and there's some hope that it may have an effect on psoriasis. But even here, it's doubtful it would differ from olive oil. Some hairdressers recommend argan oil as a conditioning agent, often citing that it is the reason why Moroccan women have beautiful hair. Actually, there's no evidence that Moroccan women have particularly beautiful hair or that significant numbers of them use argan oil. In any case, there's no theoretical reason to think that argan oil would work better than olive oil as a hair conditioner. But there's also a product called Moroccan oil that is available in better hair salons and pharmacies that actually works very well in making hair more manageable and more likely to hold its shape. 
While this product does contain some organ oil, it is hardly the active ingredient. Basically, it is included to allow for some hype about a rare oil. The first three ingredients are actually cyclopentasiloxane, dimethicone, and cyclomethicone, three very effective silicones that really can tame troublesome hair. But there are some cheaper silicone products that do as good a job. However, they don't come with the mythology that surrounds organ oil. And part of that mythology is that traditionally the oil was pressed from nuts that had passed through the digestive tracts of goats that had climbed a tree to satisfy the craving for the organ fruit. Supposedly, the nuts processed by the goats were easier to crack and yielded a particularly flavorful oil. Goats do climb the organ trees. That much is true. But collecting their poop to isolate the nuts is a myth as much a myth as the one about argan oil having magical properties. But if you're interested in the tree-climbing goats, uh, very easy to see them. You can, uh, once again, Google. And these days you can, of course, Google anything. Go to Google and uh, do a search for uh, argan oil goats, and you will see the argan tree with the goats climbing on it. And it's really quite amazing. They uh, they climb the tree and even they stand there on, on some very narrow uh, branches. And uh, it's, it's one of these things that uh, you would think it's uh, Photoshopped and it's not real, uh, but uh, uh, it is real. So take a look at uh, those amazing uh, pictures of uh, goats on the tree. Okay, I think we have Arthur on the line. Arthur? Do we have Arthur? Yeah, hi, Doc. Yes, hi. I think the answer is toxology. Yes, it is. The answer to that question indeed is uh, toxicology uh, because toxon is the Greek term for meaning bow. And in ancient Greece... Uh, warriors would uh, put poison on the tip of their arrows that they would, of course, shoot use uh, with their bows. So that's exactly right. The scientific discipline that derives its name from the Greek word for bow is toxicology. How about either of the other two questions? You want to take a shot at those? or? Uh, no, thanks. Uh, tell me, <laughs> can helium be uh, manufactured? Can what? Helium. Helium. No, helium is an element. Uh, It cannot be manufactured. And uh, it is found in the ground because it's the end result of decay of some radioactive materials. But uh, uh, there is a lot of concern these days, you know, of running out of helium. Yeah, yeah, maybe uh, somebody who could invent a uh, way to manufacture it. Uh, No, there's no way that you can make an element. Elements are the fundamental uh, stuff of nature. Can you take something and uh, break it down and get that element? Well, well, the the best thing is to look for novel deposits in the ground. And, of course, they do look for for that. Because these days, of course, uh, you need uh, liquid helium for MRI machines and for many other uses. Okay, well, thanks very much for that. They're selling these giant airships now. I I presume they use helium. Yes, Yes, they use helium. Of course, they don't use hydrogen. (laughs) That's right. Okay, well, thanks very much. Uh, The race is over, and uh, Verstappen won it. 
And uh, I guess uh, uh, that is no surprise. He was kind of leading from the beginning. Okay, we got Doris on the line. Doris. Specimen that I'm not online. I'm sorry that uh, I still exist without that. Be so kind. I don't remember last week I heard you speaking about this legume that your father eat in Russia. Something with K, and I don't have the name. <clears throat> yeah, it was kohlrabi. K-O-H-L-R-A-B-I. K-O-H-L-R-A-B-I. Kohlrabi. It's in the radish. Kohlrabi. Yeah, it's in the radish family. It looks like a big green radish. Okay, number one. Can I ask you something else, please? Um, I uh, heard you once speaking about the uh, probiotic on the food, and uh, you mentioned the sauerkraut, the pickled cabbage. Uh, If I open a a jar, they come from... uh, Germany, they are very good and I like them. How long can I keep it in the fridge after? Oh, in the fridge you can certainly keep it for weeks. I can keep you it will, even you, if it's you, a few you, weeks? Yes. You, after you I will, open it? You will, you will eat it before it spoils. Don't worry about it. Sauerkraut keeps for a long time. Yeah. Okay? All right. Thanks very okay, much. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. And Bye. that will be with us that we are not online at one moment. Nobody will answer. No, no. Uh, there, there was some issue with the texting, and uh, now all the answers have come flooding in. So we do have uh, we do have an answer now to the question about the deadliest airship disaster in history, and uh, of course the usual answer that people give is 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 the uh, Hindenburg uh, because that got so much publicity thanks to the iconic film footage. And that, uh, you know, the emotional eyewitness account of a radio reporter, Herbert Morrison, and, uh, uh, you know, the famous words, all the humanity. Anyway, so it it certainly was the most famous disaster in airship history, but uh, it wasn't the deadliest one. The deadliest incident actually was the helium-filled USS Akron, which was a U.S. Navy airship. And uh, that crashed off the coast of New Jersey. So again, you know, in the, the not far from where the Hindenburg episode took place, and that was in 1933. Severe storm. That was before Hindenburg. Seventy-three men were killed. Uh, only three survived. Then, in in uh, there was also one previous to that in 1930, a British military airship. It was called the R101. Uh, 48 people died in that crash. But, uh, you know, anyone who has seen the graphic newsreel video of the Hindenburg uh, will, you know, remember that as it plunged to earth in in those uh, in the flames. And also, you know, it, it's assumed that everyone aboard the Hindenburg perished. And that's not the case. Uh, there were 97 passengers uh, and crew on board and 62 survived. So the disasters, 36 deaths, include the 13 passengers, 22 crew members, and one worker on the ground. And uh, many survivors jumped out of the Zeppelin's windows. And uh, you can, in that uh, iconic footage, you can see them, you know, jumping out and then uh, running uh, away from the crashing uh, airship. So that was uh, quite 
quite an event, the Hindenburg, but it was not the worst airship uh, disaster. All right, it seems that uh, the other question that I, I posed about uh, the four thieves' vinegar has caused problems, although I would have thought that not so difficult to, to Google. Four thieves' vinegar was supposed to offer protection against the plague. So that takes us back to the Middle Ages. And the usual story is about a group of thieves during a European outbreak of the plague. And these guys were robbing the dead or the sick. And they were caught. And they were offered to exchange their secret recipe, which had allowed them to commit the robberies without catching the disease in exchange for leniency. And uh, there's a, a recipe that supposedly... Uh, they offered and uh, this is in a museum in paris and supposedly an original copy uh, that uh, uh, of one that was uh, written down in marseille during that particular episode anyway this is the supposed recipe that kept people from catching the plague with the what came to be called four thieves vinegar Here's the recipe. Take three pints of strong white wine vinegar, add a handful each of wormwood, meadowsweet, wild marjoram, and sage, 50 cloves of of, uh, garlic, two ounces of campanula roots, I don't know what that is, two ounces of angelic, rosemary, and whorehound, and three large measures of camphor. Place the mixture in a container for 15 days, strain, and express the bottle. Used by rubbing it on hands, ears, and temples from time to time when approaching a plague victim. Now, could this actually have had any benefits? Well, uh, one uh, suggestion has been that this herbal concoction uh, contained natural flea repellents. And of course, it was the flea that was the carrier of uh, Yersinia pestis. That's the uh, bacterium that causes the plague. And wormwood has properties uh, similar to cedar to act as an insect repellent. And some of the aromatics in there, the cloves and the camphor and the rosemary, maybe those kept fleas away as well. Uh, So, you know, that's something that has been suggested. Another plausible reason is that uh, some of these components have antimicrobial properties, although I doubt that there would be significant enough antimicrobial effect to have any effect against uh, the plague. But anyway, that was the the birth of uh, uh, Four Thieves Vinegar. And uh, interestingly enough, you can still buy Four Thieves Vinegar today. I don't think it has exactly the same composition that I just railed off here. But if you go on Amazon, you can buy Four Thieves Vinegar, but this time uh, they are making a different claim for it. It's available on Amazon with the inscription to make your enemies go away. Well, I think that the enemies that they're talking about uh, is probably bacterial or viral, and uh, uh, I suspect that they're may be, even be some suggestion that this may be protective against uh, uh, COVID. Uh, apparently, uh, this uh, Four Thieves Vinegar now is also used in some 
hoodoo ceremonies. And hoodoo is not the same as voodoo, but it goes back to to, uh, some um, African uh, tribal spiritual uh, uh, celebrations where uh, they, I, I guess they would use it to keep people away. <laughs> and I, I suspect that uh, some of the uh, components that I mentioned with the strong smells may actually keep people uh, away. All right. So today you learned a little bit about the first ever lighter that was invented and its relation to the Lomp Berger. You also learned something about goats that climb trees and the production of uh, argan oil and the fact that the Hindenburg was not the worst airship disaster in history and that you can use